thoughts about this whole thing is that a virus being a living entity, like all living entities, communicates in different ways. Yes. Like a tree finds a way of communicating through its mycelial networks under the ground to other trees we've discovered, Mm -hmm. to our amazement and delight. Why can't there be some form of communication somehow developed between human beings and viruses, which is not simply bombarding them with Warlike responses. You're listening to the Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 121 PH Factor COVID 19 Tragedy or Opportunity? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Charles Dickens, mm-hmm. A Tale of Two Cities. One of my favorite books. Yeah. It was a required reading when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a great book and one of the classic beginnings of any novel. And the reason I read that is because I think it really personifies what's happening right now in terms of this duality. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's what Tale of Two Cities is. It was based primarily on economic terms at the time. It was describing the two societies. Same kind of polarity. Sure. And any sort of traumatic event that affects the planet mm-hmm. is both, has opportunities involved in it, and is innately tragic, of course. Yeah. And while we're talking, Harry, I really want to stress this as a preface to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I really want to stress that this is really just based on our thoughts and opinions that don't necessarily reflect what's actually happening out there, because there are all kinds of different views and positions that people are taking on this thing, Mm -hmm. this thing being COVID-19. We're not here to even pretend to be experts on this situation. And hopefully, also some sense of calm, which I think is frequently lacking in these situations. Yeah, and, and like the virus itself... That calmness and or the panic kind of comes in waves. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen our first wave of panic wash over us in terms of people hoarding and rushing into the grocery stores to buy toilet paper, blah, 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 supplies and mm-hmm. all that. Sometimes for good reason. I mean, if you have to hole up for 14 days and you have three kids home from school, 
who are going to eat you out of house and home, you need to have your supplies in place. I get mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. doesn't apply to everyone. But that's sort of the panic part of it. And then the calm part of it comes kind of after, which in our neck of the woods here in Ontario, Canada, people seem to be calming down somewhat. I'm in retail, so I've noticed people sort of more relaxed, not buying as much and hoarding, and realizing, okay, the world isn't coming to an end, folks. It's a serious situation. Right. We're beginning to get a handle on how to most effectively deal with it. Now, the interesting thing you said about how things appear to be here, given that we have this sort of invisible border with our much larger population-wise southern neighbor, you don't get that same sense of calm, do you? Well, you shouldn't because look at the figures. The latest figures I'm looking at here show... Uh, 11,348 total cases in the U.S. That's up 2,089 cases. And this being the afternoon of March 19th. That's right. So these are fairly up-to-date, maybe not exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we know that those are reported cases. Right. I think the numbers are much higher than that. But again, we're not experts. We're only giving our opinion on this. We're just playing around here. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you why I think the numbers are higher. Yeah. Because I think it's virtually impossible to monitor this thing 100%. Um, Sure, and not everybody's reporting. Exactly. And and other people are getting symptoms and recovering, and no one knows. Yes. There's one specific thing about the United States that I see has the potential to elevate the numbers far higher than our own based on a percentage basis. Because when you quote those numbers, you have to remember that they are nine times our population, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. However, when you look at the healthcare system, They have tens of millions of people with no health care. That's right. And given that situation, then those people are also, generally speaking, on the low end of the economic strata and are less likely not only to report, but they're also less likely to report because it costs them money to get tested. Yes, of course. So you have this amalgamation of factors that are exacerbating what could have been or what might be. A less severe situation. Yeah. Same situation applies, not necessarily exactly the same in terms of health care, in uh, Germany, Spain, Iran, and Italy, you know, mm-hmm. the four biggest ones outside of China. Right. Italy is now half of the total cases that China is reporting and growing exponentially, 5,322 new cases. So, I mean, it's easy to look at these numbers and go, oh my God, it's Armageddon. I don't particularly see it that way because for me, the most important aspect of this COVID-19 is not just the numbers, although it's extremely unfortunate that people are suffering and dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in terms of numerical value, if you look at the actual numbers relative to other things that we already have, i.e. cancers, heart disease, car accidents, suicides, those numbers are far, far higher. That's right. We're not panicking about those. No, but we're also not (laughs) dealing with an unknown. Okay, here's where there's a discussion, because the billions upon billions upon billions, maybe trillions of dollars that have gone into cancer research have not actually given us a cure for it. Right. It continues to be an unknown, in a sense, even though we treat it, it's still an unknown killer. We're not at the root of how to... Solve it. Solve it, like we did for polio, mostly, or other kinds of communicable Mm -hmm. diseases. Mm -hmm. So we do have these unknowns. And the great unknown, of course, is that we're mortal beings and we're going to die. We don't know how or when exactly. Mm -hmm. That's a mystery and that's an unknown that each of us carries through our lives. Right. 
So there's a built-in angst and anxiety that can play out in these times when our mortality becomes the issue. Exactly. Right? How long has it been since we individually have examined ourselves day to day to day and thought about our mortality every single day now? Uh Uh-huh. And on that same note, how many times have we thought about, A, you said mortality, I would extend that to many other things that this thing is creating. Like? We're beginning to question a lot more than just our mortality as this continues. For example? For example, the way we're living. It's mm-hmm. never been altered so much, so quickly. Right? Yeah. Lineups sure. in malls or stores or the opposite. Emptiness. Empty spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's all these extremes that are occurring. Yeah. Today, as an example... They're talking about people reducing their Netflix usage because they're bogging up the internet. Of course. What else are you going to do at home when you can't go to the movies and you can't uh, ah. watch the hockey game? And right Now, you just brought up a great point, which I don't happen to fit yeah. the general view of what do you do. I think there's a great opportunity in this situation. Now, yeah, that's what you always do. Watch a movie, go to a game. Why don't you try something different now? Mm-hmm. Sure. Read a book, talk to your family members, do other things. So mm-hmm. you're not limited to those things. TV and movies and sporting events are not the only things in life. Yeah. Instead of being passive, it's, there's an opportunity to create something. Exactly. Right. If you're an artist, to create new music, write books, what have you. If you're in industry or commerce, to create new models, or new paradigms for the workplace, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? It's an opportunity for creativity. And in fact, these kinds of events, traumatic events around the world, place these kinds of creative challenges in front of us. For example, in the world of sports, yep. people in Major League Baseball, in the National Hockey League, in the NBA, are thinking of creative ways of Finishing the season, in the case of the NBA and the NHL, or starting up the season in the case of Major League Baseball, and how an altered way of running the playoffs could work, or running the season can work. Maybe it's a shortened season or what have you. Mm -hmm. But they're having to be creative in terms of the rules now and regulations for Major League sports. Mm -hmm. And that can be true of any level of society. And you're also taking a breath. It's almost like taking a hiatus. It's an opportunity to maybe rethink, reevaluate. Yeah. You don't get somebody running out the door anymore now. Can't talk now. I've got to go. Oh, I got to go shopping. Oh, I'm so, so busy. I don't have time for you. Now you've got nothing but time. (laughs) I can't can't (laughs) tell you how many emails I've sent out in the last week or two where the reply has come back almost instantly, which suggests people are busy doing all kinds of things. They're actually able to get their communication and respond immediately, which is interesting. There's a lot of focus on the negative aspect, but I also think these situations can bring out the best in people and situations. Sure. I was listening to the CBC this morning, and there was a young boy who was on a talk show, Mm -hmm. and he's saying that what he is doing is making drawings Mm -hmm. with inspirational messages on the back and sending them to the local seniors' residents to cheer up the seniors who can't be visited as much as they did before. So there are people being creative and being positive and generous of spirit, buying groceries for your neighbor who is a senior, doing that on their behalf, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Musicians giving free 
live stream performances like our local Aaron Bolton here in Orangeville, a wonderful mm-hmm. performer who's been doing this daily now and calling them her quarantine sessions. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's that whole community push. It's a community effort. It really is. And some people, uh, there's this emphasis on being forced to change your way of life. Well, in a sense, you have been forced because circumstances have created this situation now where basically you actually don't have the choice because of governmental restrictions and so on. I don't see it just that way. It's also an opportunity for you to look at other possibilities. If you look at it very negatively and you feel this kind of impingement or restriction, even if it is, if you start looking at it another way, There's a lot of good that can come out of this situation. Unfortunately, we are going to lose lives and people are going to be ill and so on. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even begun to talk about the economic effects. Yeah, we'll get there. But okay, this is the point, is that one way to find that positive energy, to find that hopefulness, Mm -hmm. is to look at it reasonably. Compare what we've got now to 100 years ago, for the Spanish flu, that was the Spanish flu, the biggest really and most devastating yeah. Yeah, outbreak of a virus on, in the history of the planet, including the bubonic plague, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It infected approximately 500 million people around the world, and killing 10% of them. something like 50 to 100 million mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. They're not 100% sure, but in that right. range, spread by the return of the soldiers from the First World War, particularly, right. a bird flu, mm-hmm. a strain of bird flu. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, That flu kind of came to an end after several years, just kind of fell off the map Mm -hmm. as people died or became inured to it. Didn't disappear. It's still present. These viruses, being living entities, find ways of morphing, adapting, circulating, going underground for periods of time and looking for ways to resurface again. Mm -hmm. They're very clever. Mm-hmm. We mustn't underestimate them. Right. And one of my thoughts about this whole thing is that a virus being a living entity, like all living entities, communicates in different ways. Yes. Like a tree finds a way of communicating through its mycelial networks under the ground to right. other trees we've discovered, mm-hmm. to our amazement and delight. Why can't there be some form of communication somehow developed between human beings and viruses which is not simply bombarding them with warlike responses. Right. This is very woo-woo and esoteric. No, but I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It's looking at it from another perspective and looking for other ways. Yeah, we live with viruses every year. We Mm -hmm. have influenza every year that takes upwards of 12,000 lives Mm -hmm. in comparison when you think about it. Yes. Every year, uh, the normal seasonal flu Mm -hmm. takes about 12,000 lives every year. There's a statistic here. Globally, seasonal influenza estimates around 35 million cases and around 35,000 deaths worldwide. This is Mm 2018-19, for example, in comparison to what we have now, which is right now, it's a lot less, Mm -hmm. okay, but growing, as we know. In the United States, the CDC estimates that influenza has resulted in between 9 million and 45 million illnesses and between 140,000 and 810,000 hospitalizations and between 12,000 and 61,000 deaths annually since 2010. Mm -hmm. Annually. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're nowhere near these numbers. And it's only the unknown factor that you mentioned earlier that makes us go, okay, we don't know. It could be much worse. 
whatever. Sure. Well, especially the information that has passed, too. Unfortunately, I believe, or people in authority, medical establishments and so on, I don't think they were completely transparent mm-hmm. about this whole situation. So that's part of it. Also, the average person, I don't know if average is the right word, but the typical person is not as informed about these things until they're either happening or about to happen. Right. And so there's a lot of room for misinformation. There's a lot of room to create hysteria, to create panic because of the fear factor, Mm -hmm. because it's unknown. And then there are some basic things that you can't ignore. How does something go from zero to 177 out of 195 countries in three months. Yeah. Well, so it's the speed of it. We had SARS in, what, 2002 Mm -hmm. in Canada and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. but it didn't move as quickly as this one. And my point is, even if it is moving that quickly, Mm -hmm. there are ways you can approach your information and the way you communicate information to the public at large that can still be factual, but at the same time, not alarmist. Yeah, and here's the thing. Because of the nature of the social media world we live in, mm-hmm. because of the nature of the media that grab onto something, the hottest item, which is the virus, and then they speak about it nonstop. Every show mm-hmm. is now on the radio, as I listen to it, is about the virus in some form or other. In a way, that's over much. If they balance that out with other programming, is it to say, okay, folks, this is a normal world we're living in with an anomaly happening here that we're dealing with, but life goes on in all kinds of other ways. Mm -hmm. People would be less inclined to panic in the way they're panicking, Mm -hmm. I think. Yes, and there's something else too, which I don't know if it affects you that way, but it certainly does me. Yeah. When someone underplays something, to me, it's just as aggravating as perhaps being overplayed. Maybe aggravating is not the word. Maybe annoying is a a kinder term. Are you speaking of our friend from the South? Well. (laughs) The Donald? Well. Who who thought it was a a conspiracy by the Democrats? (laughs) Yeah, or that it's going to be over in April or or that, oh, it's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is nothing. This is. And then you have people that are working with him who give you the exact opposite position. There's a trust factor here that's hugely in question, and it may be more prominent here, but it exists on the entire globe. And I think this adds to the fear and the panic because people do not know who to trust. Yeah, now on the other hand, Mm -hmm. the good thing that's happened among governments is that more and more we're hearing leaders of the world say, based upon the best science, Based upon the experts in the field of medicine and science, etc., here's what we're going to do. Deferring to the knowledge of scientific inquiry. Yes. And more, in terms of populist governments, more and more they've been actually hindering exactly. and demeaning the whole world of science as if it were some kind of pseudo thing exactly. and not well, accurate. Well, how, how much further can you go than to put someone in charge of the entire setup to deal with COVID-19 that doesn't even believe in science or evolution. Is that the case in the U.S. now? Well, again, we're going to be kind and and, and let people... (laughs) No, let's be cruel to be kind in the right measure. That's what I say. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. So actually what you just said is, is very, very true and is one of the pluses that I believe is coming out of all this. 
And I really do want to focus on the plus side because we're getting plenty of the negative side and everybody knows facts and figures. But what is this really doing? Now, I know that even in that regard, I may have a different outlook. I see this as an opportunity for a significant transformation of the way we live sure. and the way we see each other. Of course. And the way we treat animals. Because all of these viruses, without exception really, come from the animal kingdom. And they come from that animal kingdom because we have interfered in the way they live. Yes. In the way they should be treated and resulting in these viruses mutating and kind of leaping the boundary, if you like, mm -hmm. into the human realm. Things such as deforestation. And, yeah, all know. of the above. Right. And the way we treat animals in terms of domestication and slaughter and marketing. And because mm -hmm. really, Wuhan, that market, wherever it originated, the conditions, by all accounts, are absolutely horrifying for animals in captivity right. in that part of the world. I'm sorry, I'm not being prejudiced against. I'm just no, stating no, I understand. a, fa a well, fact that, that has existed even here, if not now, 20 years ago or 40 years ago. Uh, yes, of course, there are all kinds of- Mistreatment. Mistreatment of you know, yeah. chicken farming. All these things yeah, have been yeah. pointed out, not just- All for what? All for what? For the, us. Of course. And for our benefit. And profit. And profit, right. So what we may see is uh, a hopefully different kind of way of treating animals even in China, I think they're probably right now looking at these situations and beginning to think about how can we change this. Uh, otherwise, the world could turn around at some point and say to China, we're not dealing with you anymore. Mm -hmm. That's it. We're mm -hmm. just not going to deal with you. You're going to be isolated here. These kinds of things we want to avoid. And so I think there is some good coming out of that. And governments are being forced to re-examine the way commerce works the way animals are treated in their society. You said governments. I also think this is a phenomenal opportunity for populations around the world, societies, to be aware of their particular part in all of this. We can change governments, I believe. And you know I've held this opinion for some time. Yeah. By our own choices and behavior. Mm -hmm. And this situation is one of those situations where money and even government policy will not suffice right. to get us out of this situation. There has to be other inputs. There has to be collaborative efforts between countries. Mm -hmm. There has to be individuals who are willing to cooperate, who are willing to overlook their own personal desires and modify their behavior or look at other possibilities in order to. So if you come from the position of there's no way I'm doing that versus hmm, I'd rather not do that, but let's have a discussion. Let's see what we can arrive at. Sure. And I'm saying that when we start to change as a people, the governments have to follow suit. Of course, of course. Uh, right now, we're in a situation where populations are being forced to do many of the things that it would be nice if they volunteered to do. I agree. But because we can't always rely on that, and because we have to be thorough here, governments have forced to come in, like the Ontario government here, with a state of emergency legislation, which allows them to force restaurants and places of public gatherings to limit or shut down in some cases, right? Right. 
But of course, you also have to appreciate that there are some people who hold a lot of uh, conspiracy theories in this situation. Oh, yeah. Saying things like, here's a perfect opportunity for governments to institute military law and really crack down. Well, they may have a point. I'm not suggesting that that's the case, but you've Mm -hmm. got to give them equal time, too. Sure. Because the whole idea, if you think about it, is actually, it is a perfect opportunity. If you look at, for example, the fact that it is particularly hurting the elderly, mm-hmm. although that number seems to be coming down the longer this goes on, because when it first came out, it was like, oh, don't worry, if you're under 80, no problem. But now right. you're getting a lot more of the 60, 50. Now there's even some talk of children or millennials even mm-hmm. uh, because they're so comfortable in thinking that nothing will happen to them that they may in fact be overexposing themselves if there is such a thing. Yep. And again, we're having this discussion based on layman's terms, informed layman's terms, but we're not getting into all the intricacies. Right. Now, this idea of conspiracy is interesting. Mm. For example, 1977, mm-hmm. when there was a so-called accident at one of these laboratories, these viral laboratories, and a strain of flu, an H1N1, got released and infected people in the Soviet Union and China. And virologists subsequently proved that this outbreak came from this laboratory, etc. You could easily imagine a scenario, as conspiracy theorists do, that somebody actually did that on purpose, or it could still be, it could have been even, in this case, somehow. Well, I've heard discussions, whether it's valid or not, I've heard discussions of people calling this a weaponized virus. Well, sure, biological warfare is not new. Right. And this would be another form of biological warfare. All very good. We can talk about these ideas, but until you can prove them, they're just bibble babble as far as I can Exactly, I'm exactly. <laughs> however, however, what I'm saying is for the purpose of extending dialogue and not excluding people, I think it behooves us to entertain or at least listen to all possibilities. I mean, this is what we've got to deal with. We can philosophize and I hypothesize all we want after. Right now, what are we going to do to stabilize or get things to a better place right. so that we can spend countless evenings over a cup of coffee philosophizing about what should and shouldn't be and who is what. But right now, we need to work together. We need to pool together. Yeah, yeah. I want to share some things with you. I've got a couple of poems I'd like to share. Sure. Kind of like the Tale of Two Cities. Ah. It was the worst of times. So I have a poem about the worst of times. It was a poem that I wrote when this started to break. And I was feeling kind of in a foul mood about it all. It's called Ode to a Virus. Running scared, we cloister. Airs a mystery gas filled with surprise guests. 
Presumed innocent until found guilty. The virus may go viral. Hey, fella, cough into your hands, would you? So this bacteriophage walks into a bar, says to the bartender, Corona's back in town. Bartender says, I catch your drift. Infection's on the house. Is it a plague without the rats? Will I live to see the end times? How's Antarctica this time of year? So there's that poem that I wrote. I love it. That was a few weeks ago. I love it. A lot has changed since. Why didn't you tell me that you wrote that? I don't know. I just didn't. Oh, it's very anyway. good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> but now I found this other poem on Facebook that mm. somebody had shared, written by Father Richard Hendrick, who is this priest. And it's such a beautiful poem. It's been shared many, many times already, and it's called Lockdown. Mm. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But they say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares, keeping their windows open so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. They say that a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the housebound. Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her number through the neighborhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. Today, churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting. All over the world, people are looking on their neighbors in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. So we pray and we remember that, yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices you make as to how to live now. Today, breathe, listen. Behind the factory noises of your panic, the birds are singing again. The sky is clearing. Spring is coming. And we are always encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul. And though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing. Well, if there was ever a case to be made for poetry and its effectiveness, and the, the warming of the spirit and the heart, and to give clarity, that has done it. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I mean, it's astounding. When I read that, I went, ah, oh, everything positive and good about humanity in this situation and what we yes. could be together and be with each other. Absolutely, right? And absolutely. that's what a priest is supposed to do, right? Yes. Inspire, bring us together. And I love that part where the poem describes the different religious edifices Mosques, yeah, churches, synagogues, churches, synagogues. And that's at the base of what I'm talking about as well in terms of the positive side of this. Mm -hmm. We need to pool together. We need to get back 
to the humanness of things. Right. Economics, and actually this is kind of a perfect segue because we both know the realities. We live in a world that is run by dollars. We've all agreed to that. Yep. And therefore, of course, it's important to figure in. You, we've bought into it, let's we've say. We've bought into it, yeah, <laughs> right. And realistically, it has to be considered, it has to be dealt with. Yep. And, and we all can acknowledge that regardless of our personal views. Peter, as you know, more and more corporations, companies, uh, and I'm getting emails from all of these companies and businesses and institutions saying we're easing up on payment requirements, we're waiving these fees for X, Y, and Z for this period of time. It is happening. Right. Right? Right. But the reason why it's harder to do is because of the chain that's connected to that payment. Mm -hmm. You can offer me that yeah. if the person who you answer to right, right. cooperates. It has to be all along the chain. Yes. Yeah, carry now, on. Now, I'm using a very simplistic example for the purpose of illustration, right? That if we all agree, we can make things work. We don't have to be that hard on each other. Right. Now, okay, having said that, talk to me mm -hmm. about where the stock markets are at and what you see happening there. Well, a few weeks ago, I was on kind of the other side of what some of the so-called pundits were telling me, even people who have a lot more knowledge and skill in the area of finance. Many of them were pretty convinced that this was all going to be very short term, yeah. a hiccup of sorts. This was in the very early stages. So I'm talking back at the end of January, early February. Even when I said I thought that we were already in a pandemic in the second week of February, people looked at me like I was out of my mind. And I wasn't saying it emphatically. I was just saying it matter-of-factly. Why? Because when I heard about the situation in China, and this is in answer to your question, I looked at it mathematically, not emotionally. Right. I started to think, well, you have X amount of things happening, but you're only looking at this. In other words, you're not just shutting that down. You're shutting down everything that happens or is connected to that. It's that whole connection thing. And, yeah. and this goes to the question that I believe in as well, that we're all connected to each other. So exemplified in this particular situation, let's say you have 10,000 people in a village that are in lockdown. Now, we know that the numbers are much larger than that, but let's just use that figure. Well, those 10,000 people, everything that's connected to those 10,000 people in that lockdown has all kinds of, i.e., tributaries from the main river. Of course. Right? So when people stop traveling, for example... It's not just the airline industry that gets hit. It's everything that's connected to that. Airline Restaurants, workers. Workers. Of course, exactly. Of course. So when I started to see the numbers rise, I'm, I'm doing simple math. And I actually, right. as you know, created a spreadsheet. And, and that's all I did. I would punch in a number because I just wanted to see. I, I wanted to get through all the noise because I knew. What did the spreadsheet tell you? The spreadsheet showed me that the graph contrary to any discussion about things leveling, was indicating a continual upward trend. Okay, so that forced you to change your attitude towards the stock markets and what to do with Well, investment? no, because I'm not, I'm not invested in the stock market per se, but okay. I have an interest in it. Yeah. But I have people that I care about and people that I'm connected to who are heavily invested okay. into the stock so, market. So were you at first suggesting things will come back and not to worry, or were you suggesting at first that they should start selling off and getting out of there? Well, I try to stay away from that conversation because, as I said, I'm not expert enough. But when, okay. when, when I asked my opinion, yeah. uh, I actually, going back to probably the first, second, third week of February, I was suggesting that there would be a lot more downward motion than there would be up. And there was. 
yeah, I people happen, have lost substantial amounts of money. Right. Some people have also taken the opportunity to take those uh, dips and hops, and those who are nimble enough have also made money in those situations. I don't want to get into the discussion with the stock market because that's a whole area of expertise. But from a logic perspective, everyone expects ups and downs in the stock market. It's never uh, unidirectional. Yeah. And people quickly forget about the profit side. They focus on what they're losing. They rarely talk about what they've gained. Right, right. right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. in a way, this virus thing is very comparable to that in the sense that we tend to focus on what we lose more than what we gain. In fact, psychological studies have shown that it's about a two to one factor. In other words, you're more upset about losing a dollar than you are happy about gaining a dollar. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So again, this situation is perfect for that. This downside is extreme. But if you look at it logically, you can understand why it's happening. Sure. Since when does logic apply to the markets? <laughs> Again, That's the farthest uh, thing from what motivates people in terms of the markets. It's greed and profit, folks. So let me put it to you another way. And fear. So, and so, fear. Yeah. So, so to me, uh, these are the words that come to mind for me. It's what's your approach? Do you weaponize before you rationalize? You know? Do you weaponize before you rationalize? Do you, do you put profits? Ooh, yeah, I like that. I like do you that. put profits before people or people before profits? Good one. Peepees. Peepees. Good one. I'm thinking out loud like, here. Like, right? Yeah, you're coming up with these great uh, slogans. <laughs> no, no, Let me but... tell you. <laughs> okay, anyway, the... You have a dream. <laughs> I have a dream. Right now, for example, my focus is on forget all the other factors. And there are many apart from these things that we've discussed. At some point, unemployment is going to rear its head. It's already beginning to. How can you have all this happening and people not lose jobs? Well, A, through the generosity, right. that's a big word, right. of the corporations and the business owners who employ these people. Right. And we are seeing a lot of that, actually. Uh, I'm hugely impressed by a lot of these corporations absolutely. and how they're handling this. Ensuring that their employees will get paid their regular wages, even if they're self-isolating for 14 days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is happening. Which is a good thing. Yeah. However, I, I look at the scale again and the time frame. Yeah. The, How long it, can it be sustained? Yeah, is the question, not, not just right? that. Are you acting fast enough and are you juicing it up quick enough yeah, to yeah. avoid certain situations sure. from occurring? Right. And so for me, the recession is a foregone conclusion. Okay, but hang on. Yeah. 9-11. Right. The airline industry devastated. They came back. People began to fly everywhere and do the normal thing that they did. They've come back. Why can't corporations come back, rehire these employees, and carry on and build forward? I think all of this can be fixed, but we all have to be willing to do our part. Yeah. So what part does the airline have to play in coming back after a situation like this? What is their role? Because they're going to be suffering. Some of them right. may go out of business. Absolutely, right? some will go out of business. So how do we help them respond to this and come back? When you say it's all our responsibility, do we determine, yes, we are going to fly and not be afraid of it sooner rather than later so that they have business again? These are questions that people have to ask. Yes, but there's also opportunities here because maybe... Like what? Well, maybe we're flying too much. 
oh, so maybe the environment can benefit maybe from less flights. Yeah, right? maybe there, maybe there are other ways. ways that we can spend our time that we don't have to go on 15 trips a year. Maybe there's more we can do locally. Maybe there's more time we can spend in other ways. Again, I don't want to get into yeah. the discussion from a position of suggesting to people how to live their lives. No, no, but, right? but it's okay to have people question their own day-to-day lives and how they interact with the world and nature yes. and how they affect the environment. These are yes. big questions we're supposed to be asking now. That, right? to me, is what this is about. Will there be losses? Of course there will be, but there will be gains and losses. It's not one-sided. So if you focus on the things that you can't do or the things that are taken away from you versus what you have and what you can make better... Right, right. You, you'll have a completely different perspective, and that energy will spread out to people. 9-11. Yeah. The world changed after 9-11. The aftermath of 9-11 increased security around the world, tightened everything. Uh, now you have to take off your shoes and your socks, sometimes at airports. Everything got tightened up, and that really hasn't eased back at all. So it became a new world after 9-11 and not necessarily one for the better. So it can tip either way after these kinds of tragedies. And this is what some people are actually fearing as well, because some people see this as another method to control. Yeah, of course. It's a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because if you're not at martial law, you're approaching martial law in terms of you can actually restrict movement yeah under the justification of this being a danger that being a danger and so on now logically speaking most reasonable people will say well of course i will do my best to cooperate under such and such and such but i can also understand those people who are more adamant about focusing on the restrictive part yeah and why is their thought or opinion worth any less than someone who says oh that's bunk we must do this we must do that because they don't fit a certain mold. Yeah. You need to work with that. You mm-hmm. know, enforcing is not always the best way. Yeah, the big questions in front of us in, in some ways are ethical, Yes, aren't they? Yes. Should we go out into the world and potentially infect someone if we are infected? If we don't know we're infected and we are, mm-hmm. we could potentially harm other people. How much care do we have for our neighbors in that respect? Are exactly. we aware of ourselves and what we're doing in this situation to help or hinder? Do we care enough? All these ethical questions are big. The other one, too, I'd like to raise for a thought platform, since we're speaking of economics, is the whole idea of unrestrained capitalism, Mm -hmm. unrestrained growth, which to me is a viral thing. Yes. It's a definition of a virus is unrestrained growth, right. what we're seeing now with corona. Unrestrained. You know, we've we've built in our way of living in the world as a kind of unrestrained virus. So in some respects, we are a virus on the planet. Exactly. I'm not the first to have said that. No, 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 no. I agree with you because it's a systemic problem. Yeah. So big questions have to be looked at. Big questions, yes. So this kind of situation, here's the opportunity side of it again, is a chance to look at our ethics and how we live in the world and in our communities Mm -hmm. and the larger pictures of these institutions and ways of doing commerce, et cetera, et cetera, in the world that we're involved in and buy into. Are they legitimate? Do they actually, are they pro-human 
connection or are they anti-human connection? And maybe we make our decisions based upon which way that goes. Yes. And not only that, all these things that we're talking about aren't going to happen in a second or an hour or necessarily a week. That's right. We're not accustomed anymore to waiting for anything. Yeah. On the other hand, this kind of virus, with the quickness in which it's moving, forces quick and immediate decisions. And we're seeing that now through governments locking down and emergency legislation, etc. We're having to act quickly to deal with what's in front of us. But in general, we don't see things unfolding quickly, although we'd like them to at times. However, a lot of the quick action required now is also required in that fashion because we don't prep for that. Yeah, right. We have humankind. We've developed a level of arrogance in that we think that we can control everything and we can't. Right. And complacency. Complacency for sure. When companies put in emergency procedures, protocols, it's usually with the idea that it's a worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. but not expecting that worst case scenario to really happen. You have it there because you kind of have to have it there, but you don't expect it to happen. And so when it does, often these protocols aren't followed because people aren't ready to jump in and do exactly what you're supposed to do in that situation. We're not used to it. We're not there. We're rarely there. We're living in a very peaceful side of the planet here in Canada Mm -hmm. and in Ontario specifically, right? Mm -hmm. We're not used to war-torn situations or being under stress constantly. We're extremely privileged. Extremely privileged. So other people in other parts of the world may be in some respects more psychologically ready to handle this kind of thing because they experience it a lot. Absolutely. I I would use the analogy of the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, the guy who's used to living in a rat infested hole in 90 degree weather and 100% humidity and living on a kernel of rice. Yeah is much better equipped to fight that battle than some guy who's in a comfortable tent in his Gucci uniform. Yeah, it comes from, you know, some middle... And I'm sorry, I didn't mean... I shouldn't have said it that way because it sounded uh, uh, derogatory. (laughs) What I meant meant was they're used to a level of discomfort. Yes, of course. That very little is required for them to see the positive side, where someone who is accustomed to having all the comforts they think that, for example, a light bulb that doesn't turn on when they hit the switch is a major problem. Yeah. We're soft, in other words. Yes, I, I believe that in many ways. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're bad. It's a normal extension of what we've created and the way we live. Sure. Right? So you don't handle adversity the same way. Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting that we need to suffer in order to improve. But it appears to me that this particular COVID-19 situation is a perfect way to expose all our strengths and all our weaknesses in many ways. And it's giving us the opportunity, if we choose to, because you mentioned 9-11 and about how some things got worse, because that's the way that played out. This doesn't have to play out that way. It doesn't have to play out that way, but it may. You and I both know I am idealistic. I'll give you that. I'm not naive. And I dream of a better world. Not for me, because you and I... You, know, you have a dream. You know, you know. in a few decades, <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> okay? You have a dream. But I, I've, got, I've got a granddaughter. I've got a son. I've, sure. got, I've got people that I really care about. And so it's important, I think, not just from a legacy perspective, but from a humankind perspective. We have a better world when we cooperate with natural law. 
Amen. On that note, we're going to end this this uh, and carry on. Our blessings to everyone out there. We hope nothing but the best for whoever is listening, wherever you are, for you, your family, for your neighborhood, your town. Be well, be healthy, and don't sneeze on your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Ciao. Thanks, Harry. Ciao. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.